So we love you guys. Glad you're here. Would you welcome my friend Rodney Wright? Welcome, my friend. Thanks, buddy. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. Well, good morning, everyone. So good to be here today. Uh, yes, Matt, nothing like being introduced as a sex missionary, huh? You know, it wasn't what I prayed for when I was in junior high, you know. Lord, choose me. It's definitely what, not what my wife prayed for, that's for sure, you know. But uh, we work with a nonprofit, uh, Pure Desire Ministries, out of the Troutdale, Gresham, Oregon area. And uh, Pure Desire is in um, a, a couple thousand churches around the country, and they have literally thousands of groups for men and women who struggle with unwanted sexual behavior. And they really have a heart to become a resource for churches all over the, the country, um, where when people come and they're struggling, the church can speak about healthy sexuality and help people in this arena. How many think that's long overdue, Right? Uh, Barna did a study that only 7.5% of churches have any kind of ministry in this arena for people. And how many know this is, this is the other pandemic in our world, pornography and the internet and what all of our kids and individuals uh, have to navigate and struggle with. So um, thank you for letting us be here today. Matt and Tina are dear friends of ours. Uh, we've known them for a long time. Our kids uh, grew up together. We saw, we saw Maddie yesterday, you know, she's... About six foot four, it seems like. And uh, man, I just remember that when we were celebrating her arriving into this world. So it's, uh, it's, it's really good to be here. Um, I want to just say a few things today as we get started. Uh, I have worked for Pure Desire the last uh, three years. My wife and I left our congregation to join this cause as kind of an ambassador for the organization. I serve as a board member for this organization, this nonprofit, and uh, Tracy is one of the clinicians that serves on our clinician team there. And so thank you for just opening up and letting us talk about this mission that God's called a few of us to do. And maybe if your heart's open today, God will you know, tap your shoulder to, to prompt to help in this arena as well. So thank you. Um, I want to just, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Um, I'm not going to have time to get through the whole Bible today. So Matt's going to pick it up next week or whoever's here. His mom and dad are going to be here next week, actually. So it's going to be really good. Um, but I want to just start with this scripture and just give us a little bit of a framework of um, uh, how do we, we can begin here. The scripture says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That word God in the Hebrew is the word Elohim. Can you say that word with me, Elohim? Elohim. It's a Hebrew word. Uh, meaning God, singular God. In the beginning, Elohim, God speaks and says, God creates the heaven and the earth. And then in verse 26, if you slide down to that chapter there, verse 26, Elohim speaks. And God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. So now we hear Elohim speak. Elohim says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Singular Elohim speaks in a plural pronoun, us, our. Now this is kind of an interesting thought when you think about God. I don't know what your perception is of the divine or the faith uh, background you grew up in or maybe you didn't have any faith growing up or what your perspective is. But in historical Christianity, there's a doctrine that Catholics, Orthodox, and Protestants all agree upon. How many think that's a miracle in itself right there? Seriously. We would all agree on one doctrine. This is nothing short of a miracle, trust me, folks. And the doctrine 
is what was came up by the patristics, the early church fathers in the 300s when they were canonizing the scripture, and it's the word trinity. It's not found in scripture, but it refers to God in this plural language, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? This, this, the Trinity, the, the, they're three in one. Um, now, now, this is kind of an interesting concept and, and kind of mind-boggling when you think about it, that God is one being in relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, the early church fathers would say they were mutually indwelling, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, without losing their distinctiveness. It's kind of the same imagery where the scripture says, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one, right? In sexual intimacy, there's a unitedness that happens, mutually indwelling without losing your distinctiveness, still male and female. So in, in God, they would say that God, Father, Son, and Spirit, they're mutually indwelling, but they don't lose their distinctiveness, Father, Son, and Spirit. It's fascinating to me. They're mutually submitted one to another. There's no hierarchy in God. I used to think the Father was like the big kahuna. You know what I'm saying? He was the guy in charge. And he had two sidekicks, Tonto and Festus over here, right? You know, the Holy Spirit and the Son, right? But God, they're mutually submitted one to another. They're humble. They serve and love and care for each other. It's like when Jesus said these words in the book of John, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. Paul writes it this way in Colossians. He says, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, and the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him. Interesting. One being in relationship. I would propose today that what's most true about God is that God is relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit. In fact, I have a, a piece of art that I'm going to put on the screen here, and I, it is a, a, a Russian icon orthodox art. It's not the stuff I grew up with in my Pentecostal upbringing, trust me. <laughs> we weren't looking at this stuff in church here. But this is by an artist, Andrei Rublev, in the 15th century. This portrait actually hangs in Russia, in Moscow, to this day, and it's a very famous, famous work of art there. And it, it, it kind of reminds us, doesn't it, to pray for men and women of faith in Russia and in Ukraine and the tension that's going on there. But it's interesting as um, this was, he, uh, Andre drew this portrait about the Father, Son, and Spirit, and you can't see it there at the bottom, but they're at a table, they're circled around a table like this, and there's a chalice there, and they're partaking in communion in relationship with each other. They're sharing, they're sharing in relationship with each other. And one of the things about this work of art that they were so in intrigued by was there was a rectangle, and again, you can't see it, but it was on this part of the table right here, there was a rectangle, and as they studied it about 25 years ago, they noticed there was some kind of adhesive or something that was there. And so they had it tested and studied it and realized it was like a glue. It was some kind of adhesive put to the original work of art. They'd never seen this before. And so here's what they determined. That Andrei Rublev, when he painted the Father, Son, and Spirit in relationship, that he actually put a mirror right here on the work of art. So that when you came up to see the Father, Son, and Spirit in this beautiful relationship, there was a place at the table for you. That they actually created humanity to participate in their life. Are you picking up what I'm laying down here on that? Right? It's really a beautiful thought when you think about it. I always thought God created me to tell God how great he was. Because God was insecure. We're going to get to heaven someday, if Matt and I make it, but let's just assume we'll make it. 
And we're going to be, hey, God, you're great, you're great, you're great. And I say, hey, Matt, how long do we have to tell God he's great? And Matt says, I think like dude forever. And I'm like, man, Matt, this is like a Sunday night service that'll never end right here, you know? But the Trinity, they love each other, and they invite us to participate in that love. I want you to see this, right? So I'm married to Tracy for 34 years. If, if she tells me she loves me, and I can never reciprocate my love for her, don't you think that's a distorted relationship? Because if God is love, like the scripture says in 1 John, God is love, then it's, it's, this, it's this relationship of giving and receiving. And it's a beautiful aspect about God that I love so much, the meekness and hum- humility of God, that God submits one to another and that God loves other-centered, self-giving love. And they invite us to participate. Sometimes I think when we get to heaven, God might say something like this. Hey, stop the band. Freddie, hold that song, would you? Hang on, Freddie. And they say, Freddie, give me that guitar. And they say, hey, Matt Morgan, would you come up here? And Matt sits on the chair. And the Trinity, Matt, they gather around you. And they say, Matt, we knew you before you were ever conceived in the womb of your mother. You came from our heart. And we loved you before you ever breathed that first breath. In fact, we were the very breath that you breathed, our spirit. And we wrote a song about how much we love you. We saw you on all those snowmobile trips, and we knew how to pray for you. You've got more angels covering you than anyone on earth, you know. And then Matt gets to hear God rejoice over him with singing. That's what the prophet Zephaniah said in Zephaniah 317. God rejoices over us with singing. Who wants to be in that chair to hear God write a song about you and say, Matt, we've always knew you and we loved you. And we know you love us, you've told us, but now we get to tell you, you are worthy of love. This is, to me, the essence of the divine. They created us so that we can participate in their love. In fact, John said it this way. He records the words of Jesus in his prayer in John 17. Father, the glory you've given me, I give to them. As I am in you and you are in me, may they be in us. You know, I was raised in church my whole life, and I always believe that we always said, and God, we give you all the glory. How many ever heard prayers like that before? And God, if you've heard that prayer, raise your hand. We give you all the glory. Okay, good. We got some good religious church people just like me here. Okay, perfect. I'm talking to my people. God, we give you all the glory. And then I read John 17, and Jesus says, Father, the glory you've given me, I give to them. Well, what is the glory of God? The glory of God is the character and nature of God. Do you know that if you reflect the glory of God, you're not going to be arrogant, prideful, and, and you know, uh, puffed up or narcissistic? That if you and I reflect the glory of God, we're going to be other-centered self-giving. We're going to produce the fruit of the Spirit. We're actually going to be like God and lay down our lives in loving for people. And that's kind of what you're talking about here at Easter, about praying for people, about caring for them, about not just thinking about your Easter experience, but what about somebody else's Easter experience because you love them? Well, I could talk about that forever, but I'm going to move on here. God creates relationship, Adam and Eve. And the scripture says God made man in their own image, male and female. Some theologians believe it went like this. The Trinity gather around and they create Adam. And they all step back and they say at the same time, I think we can do better than this. Some theologians believe had Eve been created first, us men would have never been created. God would have stopped right there and said, you know what? I think we pretty much tapped out here. We're not going to be able to give any upgrades to this system right here. 
Any women in the room here with me? Ladies, are you here? Can I hear a good amen from the ladies in the room? Yeah. You should be like, Matt, we got to have this guy back at Mother's Day. He's awesome, right? He's awesome. God created men and women, the scripture says, male and female in the image of God. Sometimes I say it like this. If you want to know what God may look like, just go ahead right now. Look at the woman sitting next to you. Go ahead, everybody. Turn and find a woman sitting next to you. God may look like her because she was made in the image of God. Our maleness and femaleness both derive from God's image, our sexuality. It's kind of what we talked about this weekend, which was a lot of fun this weekend. It was just a really great time and a great learning environment here. And I think Trace and I kind of walk away still learning and growing too. So we were so glad to participate. But our, uh, we're made in God's image. Our maleness and femaleness is a gift from God. It's how God designed us. And so to affirm how God made us is so important in our culture today. And to see what God made is good. And the first thing that God says is be fruitful and multiply. The message version says light a candle and play jazz music. That's how the, the message version reads this text right here, right? It's like get after it, Adam and Eve, right? And so it's really beautiful that our humanity is good and our sexuality is good. And it's made in the image of God. And God encourages us to do this. It's amazing. Well, as a kid growing up, um, if, you know, in church, let me just say a little bit about my story real quick. Born in Salinas, California, uh, raised in a town called Modesto in the San Joaquin Valley. My father is an Assembly of God pastor, and uh, in the 70s, he pastored a church of over 1,000. If I could describe my dad to you, he would be a cross between Billy Graham, Ronald Reagan, and 10% John Wayne. That's my dad. You got a visual on that guy? When I was 16, I said to my mom, has dad ever sinned? I literally asked my mom that question. And you know what my mom said? Oh, hon, I assure you, <laughs> your father has sinned. And I'm like, well, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't adopted or something. I don't know, because life doesn't seem to be easy for me. And so if we could put the first pie graph on the chart here, you know, life has a lot of different components in it. Our family, our marriage, our work, our school, our hobbies, our emotions, our sexuality, all kinds of aspects make up life. And this is just an example of some aspects of our life. And I used to think that what it meant to have the spiritual life was just going to church and reading your Bible. And when you did those activities, that was spiritual. So as you see here, the dark blue area, I used to think that part of my life is spiritual, like what you're doing here today. You've come to a weekend gathering, so this is your spiritual life. And I used to think the other aspects of life were not spiritual, spiritual, non-spiritual, right? And so when I was growing up as a kid and I was exposed to pornography, I didn't know how to process all that in my sexuality. And I sure didn't go, feel safe to go talk to John Wayne about that. Trust me, when I was 16, there was no way I was going to do that. And so pornography continued to be a problem in my life. And it continued to be something that even though I never left church, I was never rebellious against God per se. I would come and say, God, please forgive me. Try to tip the repento meter, you know, just so God would dole out a little grace. What I realize now is I just had a lot of godly sorrow, but I didn't know how to move forward and, and transform in this area. I would confess to my brother. Uh, I eventually confessed to my dad. I went to a Bible school in the deep south of our country that was uh, put on by a famous TV preacher back in the 80s who traveled the world. Uh, and in my opinion, kind of take the message of Jesus and dumbed it down to hell insurance. 
Say this prayer so God won't send you to hell when you die. Meanwhile, that evangelist was living in his own sexual addiction, in his own hell of sexual addiction. And I remember the day he got caught. I remember the day he gets on stage with 7,000 people and confesses, I have sinned. And I'm setting up in the balcony next to my girlfriend, Tracy. And I'm thinking, hey, there's two of us, you and me. And I thought, this is great. He's actually going to help the church talk about healthy sexuality, and he's going to share his struggle and how his life turned the wrong direction, and he's going to give us a pathway, and I'm ready to follow. For me, I actually had a sense of, wow, I wonder what God's going to do here in this, in this crazy situation that we're in. And you know what? His church world, it wasn't safe. He never talked about that again until the next time he struggled with that issue. And I thought to myself, ah, I was a young man, I was married. I thought, well, if I have a sexual problem, I'll get married, because how many know marriage fixes everything? <laughs> if you have a problem, just get married. Not, not, not true. Marriage doesn't change you. Marriage just reveals more of what it finds in you. If marriage finds you unhealthy, it just reveals your unhealth. If it finds you healthy, it reveals your health. So here I am. I was uh, praying and, and confessing and, and doing everything that my religion told me to do, but I wasn't transforming, which is really an interesting thing to think about. If your religion isn't helping you transform, you might want to pause and ask some questions. You might want to say, hmm, I wonder if there's another way God may lead me, or I wonder if there's some new direction I need to take here. I remember sitting on the front row and there was a drummer in our church, and I was like so desperate. I was like, God, I don't know what else to do here, but I'm not, I'm not transforming in this area of my life. And so I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me to go to the drummer. You guys keep your drummer in a cage back here. But anyway, uh, ours was uncaged at the time. And uh, that drummer in our community was a sexual trauma assessment treatment therapist. And that was a big step of faith for me because I was just a young Pentecostal boy and we would come to an altar and God would fix all your problems. All your problems were fixed at the altar. If your muffler went bad, you just came to the altar, prayed about it, and God fixed your muffler. No, I went to Leonard, the mechanic, and he fixed my muffler. God said, go to Leonard. He will help you, right? So I remember feeling the courage to say, maybe I do need help, and I need someone that's competent and that can help me understand. I went to this therapist and shared my story. And uh, long story short, I began to learn that pornography isn't just a moral issue, it's a, it's a brain issue. Pornography affects the brain, and we talked so much about this this weekend, like a drug, that in the limbic part of the brain, that our neurons fire off and create synapses, and they create like neurological ruts in the road, and that's why sometimes addictions are hard to break, because they have such a powerful lit up with that dopamine in the brain. And so I learned about this whole process and I went in on Tuesday hoping to get by, fixed by Friday so I could go to church on Sunday all fixed. And it wasn't that way. It was a journey and a process of unlearning some things and relearning some things and dealing with my core beliefs. And it became a, 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 not a, a week process or a month process, but a few year process. And so in that process, Tracy and I, well, there was disclosure and we got some help together and uh, because of the betrayal of her. And uh, we finally navigated that season and found some transformation. And I stand here today to say that was 25 years ago, and I want to testify of the goodness and faithfulness and transformative power of God in this arena, that God has the power to change our lives. I really believe that. But here's what my therapist taught me, and let's go to the next slide. 
Rod, you love God, but I want to help you see that all of life to church, this is about integrating the way of God in all areas of your life. It's what Jesus said, whatever you do in word or deed, do all is unto the Lord. And let me tell you a couple areas I didn't know how to integrate my faith. I didn't know how to integrate my faith in my human sexuality. I didn't see it as good. I didn't think that all that, I just thought all my sexual feelings as a young boy in my adolescent development were lust and evil, right? And so I didn't have any context to see, no, your body is good, your sexual feelings can be normal, but you have to be a good manager of those and, and handle those in healthy ways. But I didn't have any framework to talk about that or didn't feel safe to talk to my dad about that. Thank God I had my brother, only God knows where I would be. And then I didn't know how to integrate my faith in my emotional scars, my traumas that happened to me when I was a young kid. I didn't know how to talk about them. I didn't know how to process them. I didn't know how to identify the lies that I believe because of those things that, and how they affected me. So with my counselor, we processed all of that. And it became very transformative in my life. And I was thinking, wow, I stepped out of ministry. I, I got some help. And, and then we came to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And when we were in Coeur d'Alene with Matt and Tina 20 years ago, we started a church there, Lake City Church. And thank God I didn't have to be the lead pastor. God bless the lead pastors in this world, you know. <laughs> but I could work in counseling and addiction and grief and loss and some of these passions that I had. And I was uh, working in the, our grief community and our Celebrate Recovery. There was a buddy of mine that just came to faith in one year. His name's Joe. He was a grilled cheese sandwich guy, right? My kind of friend, right? And had a little shop in town. And, and he was uh, 20 years AA, clean and sober. He came to CR and said, hey, after a graduation, Rod, what are we doing about pornography and sexual addiction? I said, Joe, you're just a young Christian. Don't you know we don't talk about that in church? Uh, he says, hey, I'm going to a pure desire training in Spokane. Do you want to go with me? And I felt that same prompting like with the drummer. Yeah, I'll go. And I went and I heard our founder, Dr. Ted Roberts, talk about the neuroscience of the brain and neuroplasticity. I heard him talk about many of our addictive behaviors, overconsumption of alcohol, food, shopping, workaholic, um, sex, whatever it is. Those are coping mechanisms at times because they release dopamine to the brain and we don't know how to process our grief from the traumas and hurts that have happened in our life. And then I talked about, he talked about ways that scripture speaks about this and they saw all three of these as spiritual and how you could start groups at your church and help people. So I came back to Coeur d'Alene, I got on stage and I shared my story with our congregation and we started with this Conquer series and, and now your church has um, something, a product that we're gonna, we, we, we've created at Pure Desire called Sexual Integrity 101, which is gonna be a part of church discipleship all across the country. Isn't that great? That, that we can integrate our faith with Sexual Integrity 101 so every man and woman can get trained and understand about what does it look like to understand healthy sexuality and manage it in ways that honors yourself and honors other people. I think it's fantastic. And then we can help the next generation, our kids, right? So anyway, I brought it back to our church and I said this, we're gonna show the Conquer series, this is a video, and I want every dad to join me and granddad because we gotta help our kids with pornography. And dad and granddad, I wanna train you about how you can help your kids in this area. Because I'm old, the pornography I saw was chiseled on a rock, that's how old I am. But our kids now, 
they got iPhones. And it's right there all the time. So mom and dad, we want to help you, dads. We want to help you. So I want every dad to come to this training, okay? So now the dad's sitting in church, and all the, the wife says, George, you better go to that. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go to that. Sure, honey, I'm going to go. Lowering shame in the room, because shame really is our enemy when it comes to this arena. In my opinion, religion has not done well knowing how to integrate healthy sexuality or even talking about sexuality in a way that's healthy. In fact, even using some sexual terms, and I'll try to be kind here today, but even using that language sometimes feels kind of awkward for many of us because we've never heard them other than a derogatory or a way that's been slanted or put uh, as a put down to somebody. And uh, understanding how to see that in a healthy way is so crucial. But what if the church could have this holistic approach to discipleship and begin to be healthy people? And what if we were known in our culture as really healthy people, really healthy in how we manage our time, our money, our sexuality, we're humble? You know, Dr. Henry Cloud says this in a quote. He says, there's a difference between a judgmental church and a healthy AA group. He says, in a judgmental church, it's culturally unacceptable to have a problem they're gonna call you a sinner. He said, in a good AA group, it's culturally unacceptable to act like you don't have a problem. They're gonna say you're in denial. He said, in the judgmental church, you go and you look good, but you get worse. He said, in the healthy AA group, you go and you look worse, but you get better. He says, I know they're good churches, and I believe that Life Church 360 is one of those places that you're saying, hey, hurts, habits, hangups, you got, you got struggles, come on, let's help you here. But Dr. Cloud would say, because religion hasn't always been safe, we felt more judged than led toward healing. A lot of Christians have had to leave church to go find healing elsewhere. And I believe that where there's humility and where there's other-centered self-giving and when you care about the interest of others, this is where the body of Christ dwells. And so it's so wonderful. Long story short, we brought Pure Desire to Coeur d'Alene and in five years, we saw over 200 men and women go through our groups. It was just like something I'd never seen before. We made all our young staff, when they joined our staff, we made them go through the groups with us. And we began to help them in this process of understanding how to integrate healthy sexuality with our faith and, and learning how to manage that in a healthy way. I was back at Convoy of Hope that you just saw the video four years ago. I was sitting there... Um, with Jeff Swaim and Jeff Nini at a chapel service, and I saw a sign on the wall. The sign said, we put a line in the sand against poverty and malnutrition. And I love what they're doing around the world to help with hunger and help with uh, malnutrition. And I felt the Holy Spirit tap me on the shoulder and say, Rodney, would you be willing to join us and leave your congregation and partner with Pure Desire and help the world in this arena of of mismanaging sexuality and pornography. Rodney, would you leave your church? Would you raise your own salary like a missionary? Come on, somebody. God, can't you just put a millionaire in my, can't you just give me a lottery ticket or something like that or, you know? Uh, Rod, I want you to trust me. And I want you to go to churches and I want you to be an ambassador. I felt like God was saying, Rod, the, the church needs tribal elders that'll own their story. Dr. Brene Brown says this, when you, deny, when you uh, deny your story, it defines you. But when you own it, you can write a brave new ending. Rodney, you were raised in church. You know church people. Hey, listen, 
I know you guys. I'm one of you. And I believe what the church needs now is tribal elders that'll stand up and be intimate. And this is such a part that's confusing in culture. Intimacy isn't about sexuality. It's just about into me, you see. Honest and real. You can't be ugly if you're real, said the Valentine rabbit. Right, Tina? You can't be ugly if you're real. And a tribal elder is just somebody with gray hair, no hair, or you color your hair once a month. You're a tribal elder. <laughs> the ones that are laughing the hardest, that's us. But for the young people here, for the kids, for the two kid, the, the two five-year-olds that are eating a donut walking down the hall, oh, I saw them today and I just thought, God, may they grow up in a church where they know adults are safe, we're giving them healthy information, and they don't have to hide and live in shame that this can be a safe place for us to heal and, uh, and find help. Tracy and I wrote a book called How to Talk With Your Kids About Sex. And so we travel the, the country and uh, we do parent trainings to help churches in this arena. And so thank you for your partnership. The books, when you sell them, it helps us do what we're doing. And we've helped Fear Desire really grow in their donations over the years. And now, now there's a motion picture uh, movie uh, organization called Light for Life. They're wanting to do a movie that's gonna be released on, on a streaming app like Netflix or Hulu. And it's about a baseball player in the minor leagues who, who struggles with pornography and how pornography is a funder for human trafficking. And this organization has reached out to Pure Desire and said, would you be the next step that we could put in the movie? So when people that would never go to church, they're watching it, they would say, hey, that really strikes something in my heart. And here's an organization helping men and women find healing and wholeness. How many think that's fantastic, right? I think it's amazing. Amazing things that are being created because people are saying, hey, there's another pandemic in the world and let's give ourselves to helping that pandemic. So today, you can help in a couple different ways. Maybe some of you are like me. You would say, Rodney, I can identify with your story. I just don't have as much brain damage as you do. Maybe some of you, if you owned your story and you say, hey, that's a part of my history, you could talk to Pastor Matt or Tina and say, look, men or women, I'd like to lead a course in that. Or maybe you're a spouse who's been betrayed by finding out about your partner's infidelity in this arena. They have groups for betrayed spouses as well. And you can get an online group and you can join a group and you can partner. I think when we own our story and share our testimony, this is when we can help others. Or maybe you could go to the link today and say, hey, I believe in what you're doing and I wanna support you guys in the cause and what you're doing. And so there's a thing that we've, uh, you, you can join the online groups, uh, puredesire.org, or you can go on our website and join Team 58. Team 58 is just our monthly partners that say, hey, we're helping people rebuild families and restore lives because we believe in this world, we don't need more churches, we just need the churches we have to get healthy. And we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world but Jesus didn't just come to help us with hell insurance when we die. Jesus came to help us with the hell we're living in right here and now because of the deceitfulness of sin and how our lives can be transformed and that we could participate in their life right here and now, learning to love ourselves and learning to love others. God bless you. Thank you for letting me share my story today. Thank you.